Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Beloved, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England, NPR WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Today, especially with gratitude, we welcome the gifts of our uh, choral ensemble in residence, uh, Laura Lai and their director, Beth Willer, and our sermon given by the Reverend Victoria Gaskell, Chapel Associate for Methodist Students at Boston University. That is, we gather in the spirit of Charles Wesley, who in 1762 did write, Unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, truth and love for all to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray together. O oh God, whose blessed Son came into the world, that he might destroy the works of darkness and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that, having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure, that when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, our choir ministers to us now as we in silence offer our prayers of confession. We strive to become a forgiving community, to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. So as the traditional Kyrie is sung this morning, we invite you to remember from the seven days past a word not fitly spoken, an action not fruitfully taken, a sentiment not charitably enjoined. We invite you together to offer prayers of confession. Let us in silence so pray. Well, beloved, hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the epistle of James, chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, 
and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 145 with the Antiphon. will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. 
the Lord greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall love your works to one another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. All the Lord's ways are just, all the Lord's doings are kind. The Lord is near to all who call, to all who call upon the Lord in truth. The Lord fulfills the desire of all the faithful and hears their cry and saves them. All who love the Lord, the Lord preserves. All the wicked, the Lord destroys. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let us all flesh love forever and ever. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Glory to you, O Lord. One day, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. 
Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. We are coming to the end of the year, the end of the secular year on December 31st, and the end of the Christian liturgical year on November 30th. But however we mark it, and however we feel it's coming way too soon, this year has been a year of great challenge. Many of us still have thorns in our flesh. Still none of us are getting any younger. Our personal challenges may still be with us, or may even have increased. This year, it is not just the personal pain we may feel, even in the challenges to our own health, wealth, work, or personal relationships. This year has brought, brought great pain for others, and for the world as well. Grief so large, so complex we can hardly name them, or bear to acknowledge them, or to recognize the effects they have on us. Here in Boston, the marathon bombings and their shock and an historic event on a lovely day, the lockdown of a major American metropolitan area, the deaths that included both one of Boston University's own and folks that lived in our community's neighborhoods. All this against a continuing background, the so-called natural disasters, most recently the typhoon in the Philippines with its incredible strength and destruction, the accelerating threat of extinction of species, including our own, some species also valued by humans but all precious in God's creation. The complexities and complicities of our lives, often without our knowledge or consent, in human trafficking and modern-day slavery, and in the career to endless war. The continued attempts to exclude LGBTQ people from full inclusion in religious or civic life. Insert your own particulars here. There have been many calls for the need for healing over the last year, 
there have been fewer proposals as to how that healing might come about. And while there were indeed many poignant moments during the Red Sox rolling rally, and much comment on how healing it was, we cannot always count on a series win for healing, either individual or communal. Go Celtics. When I told folks that I would be preaching on this gospel text from Luke, a number of them said to me, oh, that's one of my favorites. This is in part due to the creative enterprise of the men burying their friend, who knock apart someone's roof to let the paralyzed man down to the floor in a crowd, all the while shedding debris on him, the crowd, and Jesus. And the rest is due to the fact that this is a gospel healing story with some unique features that are indeed good news in a quest for healing. For one, Jesus' reaction is notable. When he saw their faith, he speaks to the paralytic with words of forgiveness and healing. Many of Jesus' healings took place not at the request of those who were sick themselves, but at the request of others who brought their sick to Jesus to be healed. Here Jesus acknowledges that it is not just the faith of the paralytic, if we can even assume here that he has faith, but it is also the faith, the expect expectancy and trust of the bearers themselves, so great that they break down a roof, that helps to bring about the healing. Also, Jesus does not immediately heal the paralytic physically. Instead, the first thing he says to the paralytic is, your sins are forgiven. And then he apparently doesn't say anything, as if that were enough, as if that were the healing that needed to happen, not the healing of the man's paralysis. Sin apparently has to do with lack of well-being. Now we want to be careful here. Jesus never associates illness or physical condition with God's punishment. And he does not always give forgiveness of sins to someone who is ill. And as here, he does also often say to a person that their sins are forgiven as a preliminary to healing. Now, some of my friends call me a semanticist, one who is concerned for the meaning of words, generally and in context. It's a title I am proud to carry, as I think that there is not nearly enough definition of terms in the life of faith, particularly as we consider the word sin. It is so often limited by fear and ignorance to who and how we love or to anything remotely related to a good time, especially when it is had by other people. So in line with the definition of many scholars and fellow clergy, for the purposes of this sermon, sin is anything that separates us from God, from our own most selves, and from our neighbor neighbor broadly defined to include the person sitting next to us, wherever we are this morning, all the way to the whole of creation. Looked at in this way, 
sin, our own sins and the sins of others, does have a direct bearing on our health of every kind, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and relational. Our own chapel associate, Jennifer Quigley, has spoken eloquently from this pulpit about the choices we make, either to find ourselves or to lose ourselves. And if we lose ourselves, how can we be whole? Likewise, our own chapel associate, Jessica Chica, has spoken eloquently from this pulpit about the dangers of fracking. And if we ignore or allow the poisoning of our land and air and water, how can we be whole? The psalmist in Psalm 32 acknowledges that his unconfessed sin wastes away his body. It is only with confession and forgiveness comes relief. Sometimes the confession and forgiveness of sin is the first step to being whole. To name what is not well with us, to be able to let it go, so we can begin to ask how we might mend. Next, the scribes and the Pharisees are horrified by Jesus' forgiveness. Who can forgive sins but God alone? We remember that the Pharisees are influential layfolk who are very concerned about the strict observance of both the written religious law and its interpretation in oral tradition. We remember that the scribes are influential specialists in the study of the religious law. In fact, elsewhere, Luke calls them lawyers. They have come from all over the country to see and to listen to Jesus, and now with this outrageous statement, these important people accuse him of blasphemy. And then Jesus asks a question. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, stand up and walk? And then he heals the paralytic as a sign that he has the authority, that he has the authority to forgive sins. When we think of healing, we often think of cure, and we often limit our thinking to physical cure of an illness or a condition. But in the Greek, to heal can also mean to save and or to make whole. In English as well, our words for health, salvation, and wholeness come from the same root. The word wholeness, in particular, derives from the word holism, which does not mean a compartmentalized or disassociated view of human life or human nature, but means the organic or functional relationship between parts of a whole. Jesus' healings of the physical witness to God's intention to restore wholeness to all people and to all creation. They testify to the spiritual power of God on which the kingdom is built and on which we can build our lives. But even in these testimonies, physical healing is only one part of what is going on. And, dare we say it, in a culture obsessed with physical perfection, 
not necessarily the most important part. If it comes well and good and glorify God, and just as notably, sins are forgiven. Jesus' authority in the spirit is established. The man is restored to God and to his family and friends rejoicing. And everyone, even the formerly horrified scribes and Pharisees, glorify God. Here we are reminded also of Matthew, also known as Levi, a tax collector under the empire's occupation and so considered a traitor, who had no physical condition, but was recognized for who he could be, for who he could be, by Jesus, and then accepted the call to become a disciple. We are reminded, too, of the woman with the alabaster jar of ointment, who had no physical condition, but had her sins forgiven and her grief comforted. And she was recognized by Jesus for her great love. Healing encompasses the whole person, body, mind, emotions, spirit, and relationships. Which indeed is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and walk. Which is the greater miracle, to be restored to physical health or to be able to kick a habit or addiction, forgive a relative or friend, transform a conflict, be in right relationship with God, with ourselves, with our neighbor on land or in water or in air. Jesus offers not just a cure, the cessation of symptoms or condition, but healing, the opportunity to be whole, to be truly healed in all and any aspects of our lives. Jesus entrusted his disciples with this healing ministry as well. In both Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts, both from the same author, Jesus' disciples are seen to have the same power to heal as he did. And the early church assumed that healing was part of their community life. A specific practice has come down to us in our text from James. The one who is ill, who is not whole, should call for the elders, the leaders in the church, and have them pray in faith, in expectancy and trust. Those prayers of faith will raise up the one who is not whole, and again, sins will be forgiven. Church members are to confess their sins to one another and pray for one another so that all may be, so that all may be made whole persons in right relationship. Like the men in the story who brought the paralyzed man to Jesus, so we bring one another to the healing power of God. John Wesley, the founder of my own faith tradition of Methodism, referred to our being stewards of grace to one another in such practices, practices that he called means of grace, those practices in which we remind each other of the power of God at work in our lives 
through the Spirit in the name of Jesus, so that we are able to be continually moving toward a state of wholeness, of right relationship. It's true. We do need healing. Certainly after this year, but also at many points in our lives. Perhaps, given the times in which we live, at all times. <clears throat> the church has formalized this practice so that both elders or leaders, and you know who a leader in the church is, right? Anybody who stands up to do some of the work? Elders and leaders and those who request prayer for healing are stewards of grace for one another. That is why, in this new church year, we will experiment to restore this practice outlined in James here at Marsh Chapel. On the first communion Sunday of each liturgical season, we will offer two healing stations during the communion, one each just under these first windows, so that after partaking of communion, any of us who feel so moved may come. Say what concern we have for our own healing. Be joined in our concern in a brief prayer. Only after giving permission, receive a gentle laying on of hands on, the, on or just above the shoulder. Only after giving permission, be anointed with oil on the forehead. And be blessed. In this way, we too will be stewards of grace for one another. We are offering this practice during communion, as communion is our clearest affirmation of the presence of God in our midst. It is where the confession and forgiveness of sins that we are offered every week are underscored by God's nourishment of us in bread and wine, underscored by God's empowerment of us by the outpouring of the Spirit. Communion is where the congregational recognition of our common life encourages us to bring our individual needs to God with faith, with expectancy and trust that God's will is for our good in all aspects of our lives. This is an experiment in the sense that our initial practice will be time-limited to the first communion service of each new liturgical season for this next church year. And don't worry about keeping track of the dates. We'll keep you posted. The first one will be the first Sunday of the new church year, Advent 1, on December 1st. There will also be ways to evaluate our practice. Probably there will be surveys, short surveys. But also, as we welcome your emailed and written responses, and your conversational observations. This practice is also offered with a clear understanding and thanksgiving that there are many ways of healing given to us by God. The fields of medical, surgical, mental, emotional, and relational health, the arts, the work of justice, the work of peace. This spiritual practice is intended to work with these others' practices 
to promote the whole health of the whole person. To pray for healing is not us trying to change God's mind. It is to put ourselves in a place of cooperation with God so that the Spirit can work in us toward the wholeness in all aspects of our lives that God intends for us. We invite your prayers for this ministry in trust and expectation. And, dearly beloved, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Glory to God. Amen. seated. Well, beloved, at this time we invite you into an attitude of corporate prayer. If you are so moved, we invite you to come forward and kneel at the 
at the altar rail as we pray together, or to stand where you are, or to take for yourself the tradition with which you come in prayer. We are led by our choir as together we sing our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. O thou in whose light we see light, in the lasting light of love today, we remember, we remember those veterans and others who have served their community and country in time of need. We honor them, their words, their wounds, their loyalties, their families, their lingering needs, and their gifts of life and courage. In silence, we remember some by name today. O thou in whose light we see light, we remember in this hour those children, women, and men across the globe who suffer in this hour the injuries of nature's violence in earth, air, fire, and water. Help us as a people and as people together to respond in care. In silence, we remember them this hour. Dear God, in the light of lasting love today, we remember friends and neighbors who persist, those for whom not change but lack of any good change brings hurt. Bless them, we pray. Bless their perseverance, their long-suffering, their endurance. Even in a changeless season, as they bear the challenge of the changeless. By name we remember some, 
today. Eternal Father, strong to save, whose arm has rest stopped the restless wave, who bids the mighty ocean deep its long-appointed limits keep. So hear us as we pray to thee for those who serve on land and sea. Even as in gathering we lift together the prayer Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Beloved, be welcome to this service of worship, present or listening from afar. Take a moment for those in the pew to help us get to know you by name by using the red pad that will come to you from the center aisle so that we may greet one another by name following service. We draw your attention to the exciting opportunities for fellowship and education this week, the study retreat, the interfaith experience, the Outlook lecture series noted in your insert. We also are glad to announce that the sermon discussion group today will have as its guest Dr. Phyllis Shepard, who will be part of the discussion today, and you are invited to join with us uh, following service in the, uh, the, the marsh room downstairs. We recognize that next Sunday, and we're very excited about this, we will begin a children's ministry, and we invite uh, Jamie Dingus and Jennifer Quingley to stand up at this time, if they will, so that you can see who they are. During the last hymn next Sunday, children will depart the service for uh, their Christian uh, education, and we thank Jamie and Jen. Friends, your generosity and support of Marsh Chapel is a lasting joy for which we are truly grateful. The support, the largesse of Boston University, which brings our music, 
to enter your homes and the liturgy to enter your hearts and the preaching to enter your minds is itself a lasting and an historic inspirational gift. In that spirit, this autumn, in the season of accountability, we enjoin you in precept and by example to discover again the real joy of giving. We, we strive together to become a tithing community. And if you are so moved, not waiting for tomorrow, but yielding today, we invite you, we urge you generously to support this work by an initial gift, by a pattern of annual giving, and by preparing a planned gift and will and bequest. That is, friends, our future presence, voice, and work here depend on your present decisions in giving. We seek to complete that enjoyment, invite you to be a part of our extended uh, ministry, and we invite you to help us this day. To aid in this cause, I invite the Director of Music, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, to say a word at this time. I continue our sermon on the joy of tithing uh, uh, next Sunday, I think, is our sermon. No grass grows under the feet of musicians at Marsh Chapel, and it's been a busy fall so far. We've had a wonderful, uh, almost weekly event musically in our lives, and we're so excited about those opportunities to share with you and with one another. Next Sunday, our Inner Strength Gospel Choir will lead in worship in preparation for their autumn concert, and I hope you'll be here to hear and support them and be blessed by their musical offering. In two more Sundays after that, the second installment of our Bach experience returns with the Gloria of the B Minor Mass. That's Sunday, December 8th. And the Sunday after that, we round out our, our fall term with the annual Lessons and Carols service. This morning, uh, our ensemble in residence is here to lead us, and they, if those of you who came or who were here present heard them in the prelude this morning, our ensemble in residence is a group called Lorelei, one of the most dynamic musical ensembles in Boston making music today. They are led by their founding music director, Beth Willer, an alum of Boston University, and they lead us in worship this morning. We'll sing in a few moments, and I invite you to their website, LoreleiEnsemble.com, L-O-R-E-L-E-I, Ensemble.com, and you can find out lots of information about them and their mission, which is to expand the quality and the repertoire of music for women's voices. They have an upcoming concert here at Marsh Chapel on November 23rd and November 24th. We encourage you to support them and engage in the beauty of the music that they have to offer. In a moment, you'll hear them in a Sanctus setting from the Torino Codex. Thank you very much. As the ushers wait upon us, let us continue to worship by presenting our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Lord, you who fulfill the desire of all the faithful, form our hearts to desire only your love shed abroad. Transform these our gifts to be the means of healing in your world. Transform our lives into living offerings as stewards of your grace today and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, our healer, amen. And now, beloved, let us go from this place in peace to be stewards of grace for one another and for the world, trusting in the power of that one who makes us, who loves us, who keeps us in everything. Amen. <laughs>